gladly welcome Elizabeth Joy on this episode of The Green Screen. Elizabeth is the founder and content creator of Conscious Life and Style, where she creates and curates mindful media in all things sustainable. Elizabeth also has her own podcast called The Conscious Style Podcast, where she interviews change makers in the sustainable and ethical fashion space. Today we have a particular focus on sustainable fashion, greenwashing, lowering the barriers to entry for sustainable living, and the essence of rehoming. This is a very insightful interview, and I hope you guys enjoy. So, hello Elizabeth. Hello. How are you keeping? Doing well on this early morning. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 3, it's 3 p.m. for me, but it's 9 a.m. for you at Chicago time, yeah? Yes, not too early, but lately, I don't know, I've been um, sleeping in more than I should. <laughs> I think it's the weather. I think it's the cold yeah. coming in, especially in Chicago. It's probably cold in Chicago. Very cold, very cold. Mm. So would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Elizabeth, and I run the platform Conscious Life and Style and the Instagram handle at Conscious Style. And I started this platform several years ago, but I will back up a little bit before that to kind of share how I got into this space. So I had long cared about like sustainability and human rights, joining the human rights club in high school. And, you know, I had a very limited view of sustainability, but caring about, you know, conservation and you know, recycling. And as I said, a very limited view of what sustainability was, but I knew that I cared about it. And I also really loved style and fashion. I got Teen Vogue. I love to dream about, you know, working in the fashion industry. I really wanted to pursue something like that when I was younger. And then I heard about the news of the Rana Plaza factory collapse in 2013 in Bangladesh. And that's when it hit me that my interest in style and fashion was kind of at odds with my, you know, passion for human rights and advocating for, um, you know, rights for people all over the world and equitable treatment. And then I decided that I would just, you know, try to quit fast fashion um, because, I didn't really have money to necessarily spend on sustainable brands. And I wasn't really too familiar with the secondhand fashion space at that time. There was like the local thrift store, but there weren't really good items there. And there wasn't really the online space that there is now. And then I like eventually fell back on that. And I did like kind of a mini fast fashion haul. And I felt so guilty after that, but I just like, I, I don't know. I just fell back into it. There's a lot of manipulative marketing tactics used by these brands. And so I always like tell people to be patient with yourself. Like it might take a little while to wean yourself off. Like these brands are really, really good at their marketing. Um, and, but then I saw the true cost documentary and it was really powerful. I feel like that's a turning point for a lot of people in this space is the true cost documentary. Like, I can't tell you how many people that I talked to on my podcast are like, yeah, the true cost documentary was a shifting point. So anyway, that's when I decided, okay, I'm really going to commit to it this time. And I started consciouslifeandstyle.com 
And it began at first as just a place to share brands and just like feature sustainable brands. And I started the Instagram page and now it has evolved more to education. I mean, I still do have curated conscious brand guides, but I focus a lot more on the education piece of that. And we'll get more into that throughout this conversation, but that's kind of where I am now. (laughs) Fantastic. Very interesting. So you had that turning point, kind of that insight into fast fashion really sparked it for you. Yeah, definitely. The human side of it was kind of the, you know, and now I know so much more about the environmental impact of fashion as well, but the human side was what got me at first. Okay. So sustainable fashion and slow fashion are words being thrown around a lot. And I feel there's a lot of ambiguity with them. So would you mind, in your own words, can you kind of describe what differentiates sustainable fashion from normal or slash fast fashion? Yeah, I think basically everything. (laughs) Um, I feel like there's a common misconception that sustainable fashion is just about, you know, swapping out a fabric. So, you know, just putting of recycled fabric and calling that sustainable, i.e. fast fashion brands with their conscious circular eco whatever collections. And it's not that simple. It's really sustainability is like everything. And it's about the entire intention of a brand. So, you know, are they overproducing? Are they, you know, are they coming out with thousands of new arrivals every week, pushing consumption and, you know, pushing fashion hauls, all that kind of stuff. Like that is not a sustainable approach to fashion. It's not just using an eco fabric. It's about really being intentional about the whole process. And so I think in a dream world, a sustainable fashion brand would design with care, design things that people are going to wear and love and sourcing thoughtful fabrics, thinking about the dyes, the components, paying fairly, ensuring safe working conditions. Because I like to always say, you know, what type of planet are we really sustaining if there's still exploitive working conditions? You know, what, what world is that, that we're sustaining? You know, it's not, that's not a world that I want to live in um, or advocate for. And then I think it's also about marketing in a way that doesn't push over consumption and, you know, also the brand thinking about how are they going to help customers care for that piece? You know, do they have a guide to mending? Do they have a mending program? Do they have a repair program? Do they have a resale program? And, you know, also do they have an end of life plan? Like, is that clothing compostable? Is it recyclable? Do they have a resale program again? So as I said, this is a dream world and I don't think we're going to find a brand that meets every single one of that criteria, but that's the kind of sustainable fashion industry that I want to push for. And I think lastly, I would just say that sustainable fashion is not just about the brands that we buy from. It's also about our approach to fashion, right? It's like being thoughtful about the purchase and buying less and not being afraid to outfit repeat and restyle and mending when there's a tear instead of throwing it away. And, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive to participate in sustainable fashion. And you can start from where you are. Like there isn't a single answer for it. And 
it doesn't require buying $200 sweaters. Like if you can afford that, I think it's great when you need something to support a brand that is paying fairly, of course, but you don't have to feel like if you can't afford that, that you're automatically excluded from the movement. And I think that was another common misconception, especially, and I had this when I first started in the space, like I thought that I couldn't post, I didn't post photos of myself at first on my Instagram because I was afraid that like, all I had was fast fashion. And there wasn't that same conversation about like, you know, rewear and be proud of outfit repeating. And so I was like, well, I don't own anything from these cool, sustainable brands. I can't post photos. And yeah, now my view has shifted in that. And I'm not afraid to post photos of, you know, like I'm wearing a fast fashion shirt right now from like six years ago, but you know, I'm going to rewear it and love it. And that's also sustainable. So. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting take that, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that you can participate in, in sustainable fashion. That's not just buying sustainable fashion. You know, like you mm-hmm. said, as in, you know, rewearing, recycling outfits in the sense of, you know, continually wearing them for different occasions and doing the repairs yourself. So yeah, that's interesting. I think yeah. lowering the there there is a lower barrier and a lower cost for entry into sustainable fashion that people aren't aware of. You know, rather than just buying these expensive brands, they can, totally. they can take action in other areas. So interesting. So on that note, where do you see the circular fashion and sustainable fashion economy uh, going and evolving? Because a yeah. lot of now we have brands, you know, a lot of brands are just talking about sourcing, talking about greenwashing, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, where, how do you see it evolving? Yeah. So circular fashion is such a buzzword, isn't it, lately? I actually dedicated like this entire second season of my podcast to circular fashion because I felt like it was just such a term that was being co-opted by these big fast fashion brands. And it made me so frustrated because it was like, you know, they, they weren't approaching it in a way that I thought felt was genuine or truly circular. But I do love to highlight other smaller initiatives and brands who are approaching circularity from a very inclusive and holistic lens. And I think that's really exciting. But I think I'll start off by just saying like what circular fashion means to me and based on like what I've researched about this topic is like, first and foremost, circularity means producing fewer, better things. So it doesn't matter if it's made from recycled fabrics, if it's low quality and very trend driven, and you're going to tell your customers next week that that piece is out and this piece is in, like, that's not, that can't be circular. Like circularity is about extending that lifespan of the garment as long as possible, which means producing with quality in the first place. And then after you've produced a really quality piece, it's about trying to sustain that life of that garment as long as possible. So through what we were talking about before, mending, um, maybe tailoring if it doesn't fit you quite right, swapping if it no longer suits your style, maybe selling it to a consignment store if, you know, you don't want to wear it anymore or, you know, buying a secondhand piece as well as part of the circular fashion system, you know, hand-me-downs, outfit repeating, re-wearing, and then, Once that piece is not really wearable anymore, 
we should consider a really thoughtful end of life. And like, I like to use the word rehoming. And I first heard that from Kamea Shane of the Green Dreamer podcast. She mentioned that in like an Instagram story or something. And I would like, I was like, I love that. Like finding a new home for that piece, (laughs) not just dumping it somewhere and then thinking that it's going to somehow have a use, but really making the best use of that. So in other words, not just dumping it in a trash bag at Goodwill or Salvation Army or another charity shop with no regard, not like people will literally dump, um, trash in these bags. Like they will dump like stained, torn, unwashed garments in these bags and dump it at a charity shop. And it's like, these charity shops don't have washing machines. They usually don't have a sewing machine. Like I think it's just, I just really think it's important to be intentional about what you're doing with that piece when you're done with it and trying to find the best home possible and ideally, you know, upcycling it or recycling it and not downcycling it. So for instance, there's take back programs where they will recycle your garment and turn it into housing insulation or rags. And that might be the only thing left if you're garment is truly in like the worst condition and it's totally unwearable, that might be the best home for it. But if that garment is totally wearable, like that's not a good home because we're downgrading it. It's not part of the circular system at that point. It's kind of getting, you know, downgraded, you know, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I just think circularity is about managing the entire life cycle of the garment, including where it's going when you're done with it. Because thankfully there's this growing awareness that charity shops are only really able to sell 10 to 20% of what they receive. And so most of that is not getting resold. We have a large percentage of it being bailed up and shipped to places in the global South, you know, Cantamanto market in Accra, Ghana. Um, there's another major market in Kampala, Uganda. And I, there's just so much there and so much injustice in that system, but I highly recommend listening to the vintage or violence podcast, which is highlighting the secondhand market in Kampala, Uganda as well as following the work of the Orr Foundation, who's focused on the Kantamanto market in Ghana. And they highlight a lot of the realities of that secondhand trade. And I won't get too much into that, but I highly, highly recommend listening and learning from those resources because the truth is that these donations, these clothing donations that we're dropping off are really not as altruistic as they seem, and they can be harming the textile economies in these areas. They are filling the landfills in these areas, and there's there's a lot of not-so-pretty realities about this system. Okay. Yeah, because I wasn't quite aware of, I, I've heard of these closed donation systems, but I didn't realize that that such a negative impact um, these areas. So a lot of them are going to sub-Saharan Africa and kind of South America or where else? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that a lot are going to East Africa and um, yeah, South America. There was the recent news of the 
close in the Atacama Desert. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly in Chile. And it's basically like excess production from fast fashion brands or secondhand clothing donations that are getting dumped there. They know they don't have a home. So they're just like literally not even really in a landfill, but just dumped in the desert. I mean, the pictures are kind of horrifying. I can send you a link. Maybe you can put in the show notes, but definitely it's a reality check to look at that. But I realized I didn't really answer your question about the circular fashion economy evolving. Um, So I can answer that, I guess, but I see it evolving in the way that that's the way I envision it evolving, I think is what I just said. And, but the way that I see it actually evolving is unfortunately not a holistic view. I, I think a lot of these big fashion brands are just using like recycled fibers while still producing millions and millions and millions and millions of garments every year, more clothes than we could ever need or use. And also having take back programs which sound really amazing, but then a lot of those clothes are actually going to the places that we were just talking about. Um, so that's where it's kind of going now. But I really hope that we can push the conversation further as citizens, as consumers, as just fellow human beings on this planet, and we can push it to be a truly circular system and not just like a out of sight, out of mind view of circularity where, well, it's not waste here, but we're shipping it off to other places where it becomes waste there. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Very interesting. Um, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of insight there. Um, Thank you for that. So just another question on regards people approaching sustainable fashion, because I know a lot of these big kind of household brands, are you know using organic cottons to have their sustainable line, sustainable section? How you know how ethical is it to shop there still? So I mean, a lot of people think, oh, it's okay, you know, X Y Z brand is using organic cotton, or you know, they have a new sustainable process, but then they're still producing their mass fast fashion lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is it? A, what's the consumer face what's the right thing to do you know do you shop there do you trust them because there is there is a lack of transparency you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's such a great question and I want to be very mindful about my um, response here and like my approach is I really want to put an emphasis on like from the consumer side or from the individual side just mindfulness and how we're engaging in this system and what kind of culture we're creating around fashion. But I don't want to like blame or shame anybody because it's all a learning journey. And I would say that at the beginning of my journey, I definitely was for that. I purchasing from these bigger brands, you know, more conscious or sustainable collections because I thought that, well, in this way, maybe I'm kind of encouraging them to do more of that. But my view of that has sort of shifted and I'm very hesitant to support those brands now because 
I just don't think that they have a very genuine approach to sustainability. And at the end of the day, they are still pushing over consumption and they're not ensuring living wages for their workers. At the end of the day, none of these fast fashion brands can prove that they're paying living wages to their workers. And some of them don't even have full transparency. Well, most of them don't have full transparency into their supply chain. So they don't even know what's going on. And it becomes very hard to trust that. So I'm all for progress, you know, uh, if they are making, using more thoughtful materials, but I personally wouldn't support them because I don't think that they're paying enough attention to the social aspect of their supply chain. Like they're really not investing in the workers making their clothes. So I it's complicated because these brands are also like basically what, you know, the majority of people buy from, they make up the majority of the profits earned in the fashion industry. So like, if we do want to see change, like these big brands have to shift their practices and we have to push for it. So I feel like I definitely want to push them and advocate for them to improve their ways. But as an individual, I would never buy from them. And I just love to support small brands for like so many reasons. I also like when we think about a type of fashion system that we want to see, I don't want to see fast fashion billionaires and, you know, low paid garment workers. Like I want to see thousands of small businesses where people get to pursue their dreams of designing and, you know, they're making with care and being paid equitably. Like that's the kind of system that I want to see. And so that's where I'm going to invest my dollars. So kind of a roundabout answer to that. No, no, that's perfect. No, yeah. Okay, fantastic. So I want to get on to the topic about greenwashing. Yes. Because a lot of people find it very confusing um, as to what it is. And it's kind of, it's in relation to what we're speaking about now. So can you give us some insight as to what greenwashing is and how we can be more aware of it? Yes. So greenwashing is, is essentially practices that companies do, organizations, sometimes even politicians. Like when we look at COP26, um, that they make to, or practices or statements that they might make that overstate or potentially mislead people on their ecological or social responsibility. So basically when they say they're doing something and they're either like not doing it or they're making it out to be that they're more sustainable than they really are. And I think like that aspect of greenwashing makes it super confusing because it's like, it's not always a lie, right? It's not like they're totally lying about what they're doing. They're just maybe not telling you the full truth or the full reality. So it gets, it can be difficult to identify. And I feel like brands are getting better and better at it, which, yeah. But I think that some common, like, ways that brands greenwash that we can be aware of is that a they don't take into account their full supply chain or their full production so they just share one tiny element right they say like oh we have eco packaging or or sneakers are vegan but well that's like not really enough you know it's just this one little itty bitty tiny thing and they don't share anything else and then because yeah Packaging is just such a tiny portion of the impact when we think about like if your garment is made from polyester, so i.e. like fossil fuels from oil, 
your garment is made from virgin like polyester, which is fossil fuels, like using 20% recycled packaging content, like doesn't make that sustainable, I guess. And then also like if they just use these fluffy words and they have no background behind it, like they're like, oh, we're conscious, we're eco. Okay. Well, why? Like what makes you that way? You can't just say you're something because these words have no, um, you know, like regulation behind it or no standardization, no really accountability for using those words. So you have to be very careful if it's just fluff and, you know, no substance. And then I think another one is they're, they're like talking about their future goals. Like, oh, we hope to do this by 2030, 2040. That's amazing. I love to see those goals. I love to see like that they're pushing for continual progress. Like that's super, super important. But if you're doing nothing today and your sustainability is just your future goals, like, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I really trust that because I would, I also want to know what you're doing today and how you're going to get to those goals, you know? Um, you know, and if you have accountability embedded into that, because we've seen time and time again with especially fast fashion brands, I don't know if I, <laughs> I always hesitate if I should name brands because I don't want them to come after me, but I'll just name them. H&M said that they were going to pay hundred percent living wages by, oh gosh, 2015 or 2018. And, you know, whatever year it was came and gone, no proof of any, anybody making living wages in their supply chain. And all the information just disappeared from their website. And, you know, Clean Clothes Campaign is a labor rights advocacy organization working in the fashion industry that called out H&M for that. Like, you know, because otherwise they would have just, they, they just wouldn't have mentioned it again. Right. So they, they, say these goals, they get a ton of free PR, ton of publicity, people share about them, and then they just don't ever actually achieve that goal. So that big rambling thought to say like, become skeptical of those goals and ask the brand, okay, tell me exactly how you're going to get there and what are you doing today to get there? So that's a bit on greenwashing. Last thing I would say is like, if a brand is overproducing like that is the number one thing. Like if they are destroying inventory, if they are, you know, if there's just like millions of garments that they're producing on a monthly or even weekly basis, sometimes like that is just, it's not a sustainable approach to fashion. That's more clothes than the world needs like by a long shot. So yeah, that's greenwashing. (laughs) Interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. Very clear. Very concise. No, that was brilliant. Um, and it's good to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, these companies are promising, uh, but there is no proof of delivery. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we touched on earlier about different ways of people participating in sustainable fashion and ethical buying, but it might be a bit overwhelming. Um, because there are so many yeah. different ways, there are so many different you know, approaches. Um, if you could just pick even two, uh, one or two, where, where people could start, how would people start engaging in ethical buying or sustainable fashion? Yeah, I feel like education is just such an incredible way to start. And, 
because this conversation is so ever evolving. So like reading books like Consumed by Aja Barber and the book by Maxine, what was it called? Unraveled. I will get that to you. But those are two books that I just read. I believe it's Unraveled, but now I'm doubting myself. Um, Clothing Poverty by Andrew Books is a really good one. Conscious Closet by Elizabeth Klein. Those are some of the books on my bookshelf that I've read recently that I really recommend. And yeah, listening to podcasts like this one and, you know, following people on Instagram, sustainable fashion change makers who are kind of leading this conversation. I really recommend following the organization Remake. They are really incredible nonprofit. That is, they were behind that viral pay up campaign. If you remember that when factories canceled orders and they were advocating to make sure that brands were paying for their orders so that garment workers could get paid. And they're doing so much important work. I'm actually a remake ambassador. So it's a nonprofit. And um, so I'm kind of like part of their group. And I really recommend that if you're looking to get more involved in the fashion and fashion activism as well. But yeah, I just think tuning, you know, subscribing, following whatever, wherever you like to, you know, consume media to sustainable fashion change makers and unsubscribing, unfollowing from like fast fashion brands, fast fashion influencers and all that. <laughs> okay. So education first and foremost, yeah. that's the best way to so. engage. Yeah. I think that will get you started and get you motivated to like take action. And yeah, I mean, there's like 20 other things that I could say, but I feel like that's kind of like that will, that start will give you so many ideas and how to engage. Okay. And we spoke about it earlier, but, you know, in terms of brands starting out that want to be sustainably conscious, uh, ethically conscious in terms of fashion and design and living, um, from a, an image perspective, from, you know, how to display themselves ethically, what are some of the approaches approaches they could take starting out? Yeah, I love that question. And I think that, so I recently spoke to Shannon Lohr, who runs the Factory 40, runs Factory 45, which teaches small brands how to launch their business. And that was a really insightful conversation. So I kind of, I want to credit her before I kind of share some of these things, but I think first and foremost, like there is this perception that there isn't room for more sustainable brands. And she had such a good point when I asked her about this and she was like, what we need is less, like less of these big brands, right? Less of these like fast fashion, like that's the crux of the problem. And like, there is still room for sustainable fashion brands. Like I hear when I talk in my regular life about sustainable fashion, like a common kind of issue people have or like barrier is like that they just don't find their style in sustainable brands. And so I feel like there's room for more aesthetics and more styles. And of course there's room for more size inclusive sustainable fashion brands. And 
also brands like upcycling, making use of existing fabrics. Like we have so much excess fabric. Like if you can make a use out of that and make that into something beautiful, like, so I guess this kind of overarching theme here, what I'm trying to get at is like finding the need and finding the gap. Like what are people, what do people want? Um, You know, I think at this point there are like, for instance, a lot of organic t-shirt brands, you know, unless you're offering something different with that, like you probably should think about something else, like what isn't being addressed in the market. And I think there are a lot of gaps still for sure. So if people can find that gap and, and really go at that again, size inclusivity is still a huge barrier in sustainable fashion. So I would love to see more size inclusive brands in terms of plus sizes, tall sizes, petite sizes, um, maybe custom sizes and made to order, things like that. I think that would be really amazing to see, but I don't know a ton about brands to be honest, but that's just what I view as like someone who writes a lot about the space and has, you know, researched a lot of brands, like there are gaps. So go after that. You spoke about rehoming. Yes. <laughs> um, can you expand more on that and various types of rehoming, if you don't mind? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think that, so I get a lot of the hand-me-downs from my mom. <laughs> so she rehomes her pieces a lot with me. So like, I think first, think about the people closest to you. Like, is there a cousin or is you have a sister or a friend who wants those pieces? Like I also would buy, I used to buy clothes from my friend. Like she would not repeat outfits. And I tried to tell her like she should rewear her pieces, but like she just wouldn't. Um, so I at least bought the pieces from her. So like they didn't go to waste and I like wore the life out of those pieces. So, you know, thinking about your first circle and then, also you can swap. So if, you know, you have a piece that you no longer wear and your friend has a piece that, you know, they don't want to wear anymore, you can swap that. Or you can like organize an official swap party and like bring friends together and have them bring some pieces and you guys can swap with each other. Or you can resell that piece at a consignment store local to your area. Or because the consignment stores, like they'll tell you if they're not going to take something. And so I really like that approach because with the charity shops, you'll give them everything and you don't know what they're taking or what they're not. I mean, I think if you go to a smaller charity shop, like a local store, that's not like a huge chain. You can probably talk to them and ask them, you know, do you have a use for this? Like, will you be able to resell this? or not, because what happens is, yeah, if we just dump everything on them, they don't have the capacity to sell all that or sort through all that. And so some of that can get, you know, landfilled, or as we were talking about before, shipped to somewhere in the global South. And, you know, we just don't have much transparency into that system. And then- yeah, and because then I, think, I just want, sorry, I just want to touch on yeah. um, before you finish on about the the consignment because in, in Ebony yeah. Seed, uh, what we do, we're very we're very picky. Yeah. So obviously we operate the consignment, but we also have the brands. 
So when we have consignment coming in, you know, people bring in their clothes. So we don't accept, uh, obviously, underwear, but also um, shoes. That's just the shoes are very messy in terms of shop and then physical distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but we accept everything else. So in accessories, jewelry, yeah. but also like apparel. But we have to, we have to be picky uh, because, again, some of the stuff, you know, there, there, you have to incorporate resale value. You know, you have mm-hmm. to incorporate season. You know, it, it's hard to take a jacket in the middle of summer or, you know, a mm-hmm. swimsuit in the middle of winter. Um, mm-hmm. for example if you want to hold in the, hold in the stock um, so a, a lot of that a lot of that is trial and error trying to mitigate you know overstock and having excessive amounts of clothes in the shop so it's a, it's a difficult balance to strike um, but I can confidently say that we've never thrown away given away uh, anything so anything mm-hmm. we've ever taken in we either you know, have or are sold so um yeah, I think I think a lot of the consignment stores have to be picky. Yeah, you know, they have to be stringent on what they accept and how they accept. But also, which is also surprising, is people people because I've seen it on other resellers, especially vintage pages and vintage resellers, uh, is dirty clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand. You know, you have to be lenient that this stuff is secondhand. It is pre-loved, as we like to call it. So you know, it's going to have a small bit of scuffs. Uh, we have an in-house seamstress that does, you know, repairs and stuff. On oh, the it's amazing. Yeah. But um, there's only so much you can do. But I mean, the, like I see people selling, I'm not, not to name any, but I see people selling stuff that's just destroyed with stains. Um, yeah. You know, holes and it's just dirty clothes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. You know, you, you have people coming in and they mightn't be necessarily aware that they're like, oh, you know, but um yeah. yeah, it is something you have to watch out for. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What was your last point? No, I, that's such a great point. And that was really great to hear. And I think that's like such a model of like a more thoughtful way of reselling. And I think that's more possible with like a small local resale shop rather than these huge chains who are just like churning out like tons and tons of clothes. Like, I don't know what um, resale stores are there, but there's one in the US that's very common, which is Goodwill. And I was there the other day looking for, you know, I think picture frames. And there was just like this huge line of cars to drop off their stuff. So like, it was like a drive-through, like a McDonald's. (laughs) Like there were just like 10 cars lined up in a drive-through, just dumping their stuff. You know, some of these just like four trash bags full of stuff. And I think that, yeah, we're just living in an age of convenience and we're like, oh, well, we have, you know, somewhere to drop our stuff off and we don't have to feel guilty because it's not going to the landfill. But I think that we just all have so much stuff and like, I, I don't necessarily have an answer of like what to do with all that stuff. Cause that's like a common question is like, well, at the charity, these huge charity shops are not necessarily like reselling the stuff that I'm sending. Like, what do I do? with that stuff. And I was like, I don't have all the answers, but you know, the rehoming that we just talked about, or like, if you are going to donate it, donate it to somebody who's going to directly use it. Right. So there's like homeless shelters or women's shelters, or, you know, just various organizations that might take specific items that will actually be directly used in your community to those who need them. And then the last thing I would just say is like, may like when you have to 
rehome that piece and not just dump it somewhere in the landfill or to charity shop, like you're going to be so much slower at buying new things. Like I'm trying to sell a bunch of clothes right now because I just moved and I'm just realizing that there's like a lot of stuff that I don't wear from like eight years ago. You know, these are like clothes that I've held on to forever. Um, and I'm trying to resell them and it's not easy. Like it takes time. You have to take the pictures, you have to list it, you have to ship it. You have to, you know, wait for somebody to buy it in the first place. Like it takes so much time, but it's made me slower at consuming. Like I was like thinking about what new sweater I wanted this season. I was like, actually I have enough sweaters and I don't have room for more. And because like fast fashion, and I think this is a key point, I just, want to go back to with their take back programs. It seems really altruistic, right? They're helping you recycle. Why do they want you to get rid of your old clothes and not feel guilty about it? So they can sell you new stuff. Like, and I think it it illuminates so much when you think about when you, when you participate in these take back programs, like Zara, H&M, they give you a, like a percentage off or a gift card or something like that depending on the brand to buy new stuff, you know, like that's why they want you to <laughs> dump your old stuff or so-called recycle it is because they want you to have a cleared out closet. So you have room for more new fast fashion. So yeah, if we're responsibly rehoming every single piece, we're going to like not buy as much. So that's what I have to say about that. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been very, very insightful. Uh, eye-opening to learn thank more about for... the sustainable fashion space and your thoughts and some of the things. So yeah, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. I know I went on a few little rants there. I don't usually have the opportunity to do that because I'm usually on the other side of the microphone. So of course, I... yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, it was fantastic. The more, <laughs> uh, the, the more, the better. Do you, um, you want to give us some of your, your handles or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you can check out consciouslifeandstyle.com. Um, I also have a podcast called the conscious style podcast. Um, I have a newsletter that you can find at consciouslifeandstyle.com forward slash edit. And my Instagram is at conscious style. And you can also check out the conscious fashion collective platform, which is consciousfashion.co and the Instagram at consciousfashion. So that was a lot there, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's absolutely perfect. But listen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.